I'll be reading from 1 Peter 2, verses 18 to 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Thank you, Melissa. Good morning, church. I want to thank you as a church family, you as individuals, and in reaching out and uh, time of loss for our family. I thank you so much for your tangible expressions of love and uh, the ways that you supported and cared for us. And, uh, and you can continue to pray uh, for us along the way. But thank you. I want to thank you for that. We will be in 1 Peter chapter 2, the passage Melissa just read for us, 1825. But before we do, let's look to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for your word, and we show up today not to necessarily hear what it is I have to say, but what it is you have to say through me, through your word this morning. May it touch our hearts. May we Allow the Spirit of God to speak truth into our lives and guide us into that truth and enable and equip us to live out that truth, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. On Veterans Day in Boulder, Colorado, a man parked his car in a metered area. A sign was posted that said, free parking on Sundays and holidays. He noticed the sign. So he did not put any coins into the meter. Two hours later, however, when he returned to his car, he noticed a parking ticket on his windshield. He immediately went to City Hall to find out why his car was ticketed since it was Veterans Day. He discovered, though, that City Hall was closed. So he immediately went to the police department where he asked an officer why he was ticketed since it was Veterans Day and the sign clearly said free parking on Sundays and holidays. The police officer told him that Veterans Day wasn't a holiday as far as parking was concerned. So the confused and somewhat angry man reluctantly agreed to pay the fine, but he wanted to settle the fine immediately, so he took some money out of his pocket and he handed the police officer the money. 
But the officer refused his money and he said, you can't pay your fine today. City Hall is closed because this is a holiday. <laughs> How frustrating is that? I mean, we'd, we'd say kind of an injustice. I mean, wouldn't that just burn you? It's challenging to be a decent, law-abiding citizen when things don't make sense. What are we to do as followers of Christ living in a society that seems so upside down? Well, last time, two weeks ago, Peter used the S word. Submission. Submission. Society doesn't like that word. And if we're honest, we don't particularly like it either thought of it kind of makes us cringe. Well, Peter does, and we're going to have three sermons here on submission. Our last time in 1 Peter, the issue of submission was in the context of the government. Next week, God willing, we'll look at submission in the context of marriage. Now that should be fun. Please show up. I plan to. Well, this morning in 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25, Peter will now explain how submission works when what we're submitting to isn't godly. And not only is it not godly, it's also not just. And it's, and it's where we say that, that phrase of three words, uh, it's not fair. It's not fair. When we were working through our time in Joseph over the summer, we touched on this subject as well. Joseph did what was right, yet it landed him in jail. It's not fair. Now, according to one study, and do you ever wonder where they get all these studies from? I mean, no one's ever asked me um, of what I think on it, but, but, but that's okay. But in the, according to this one study, the average teenager uses the phrase, it's not fair, eight times a day. Are you parents out there going, well, that's a low number. It's not fair. I have to clean up my room on a Saturday. It's not fair. I don't get to do what my friends are doing. It's not fair what the teacher expects of me. Now, if only fairness was kid stuff. I googled the simple phrase, uh, the title of my sermon, and when life's not fair, and it yielded a staggering 351 million results. That kept me busy this past week. I did not look up all those. But if you live in this world, and you do, you will at one time or another be on the receiving end of unfair treatment of some kind and experience unjust suffering. Well, how are we to respond when things just aren't fair? Well, that's the subject Peter takes on here as we come to 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25. I invite you to join with me in looking at these verses, 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25. Now, let me say this up front before we dive into this section of Scripture. Call it your takeaway, the bottom line. It's a principle for today. Suffering is never an excuse for ungodly choices. Suffering is never an excuse for ungodly choices or behaviors. And today's passage really drives that truth home. All right, four C's this morning. The first one is command. My first heading, command. What is the command? Well, look with me at verse 18. It says, slaves, submit. Now, it's difficult right there to read that, that, those opening verses, those opening words, without the history of our country's horrific age of slavery entering our minds. 
And read in light of that, these verses may even seem inappropriate. Now, there are to be some distinctions from its North American counterpart that are in order here about that day. In the ancient Roman world, there were three classes of people, we could say. Not lower, upper, middle, lower, middle, and upper. Not those classes. But there were the, the, the Roman citizens, one class, uh, who had full rights and all protection under the law. Then there are also those, the second class, who were considered uh, to, to be the freedmen who enjoyed a great deal of autonomy, but still had certain uh, restricted protections. And then the third class is there were servants. There were servants. And the word translated slaves here in the NIV, and some translations, the one that, that Melissa read from as well, it's translated servants, which I believe is a better translation. Servants. Bond servants. They were different classes of people than the slaves. It really speaks to servants in a household. Servants were those who couldn't uh, make it financially or, or perhaps they had run up such a debt so high that they were in a lot of trouble financially. And, and so they became servants of whoever they thought could protect them and take care of them. Now these servants were to be treated properly and some even suggest there was, there was some Roman legislation regarding uh, and regulating the treatment of the servants. But like any system, there were abuses. But overall, these servants were, were well treated, though were considered to be of lower status than others in Roman society. And so in the early church... Nearly church, they had to wrestle through what it meant to be spiritually equal, yet not socially equal. See, for any business and organization and church and so on, there are those who lead, those who are in charge, there are those who are given different responsibility. To not have that would only be disorder and chaos. But the assumption is often made that where there's spiritual equality, there must be sameness. Not true. Not true. Not all people are equal in achievement, abilities, roles, and social status. And so these masters and servants, spiritually speaking now, were one in Christ. They were equals before God. They were equal in value before God. They were equal in Christ. But when they went back to work, back to the social structure, these servants were to submit. They were to submit. Now to make us even more uncomfortable. Peter goes on to say, the rest of verse 18, Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now the word harsh uh, means overbearing or cruel, uh, crooked, unjust. And you read that and you, you, you go, Really? I mean, submission is hard enough, but to add to even to those who are harsh makes this nearly impossible. Well, exactly. It it is impossible when left to us. Because our natural tendency is to return hurt for hurt, to live with the I will get you attitude. I remember reading one person's response to hurt it said, um, they said, I'm not going to get even. I'm going to tell God on you. <laughs> well, guess what? God already knows. But you see the points. 
See, see, our responses to unjust treatment and what we're supposed to do, it goes against everything in us that wants to pay back to get even. You know, there's even a website to help you. I wouldn't encourage you to go there. It was bad enough I had to, but I wanted to use this. But it's called Revenge Unlimited. It says, have you been wronged, mistreated, annoyed, or ignored? Are you ready for some payback? Well, explore our site and find piles of good ideas and novelties to get even with those who have wronged you. Isn't that great? Well, they do offer this disclaimer, by the way. It says, by entering this site, you agree to take full responsibility for your actions. Of course. See, we don't call it revenge. We call it my rights. America, the land of the free and the home of the entitled. So we're a people in the society conditioned to rebellion fighting for what is rightfully ours. Now I know this doesn't always sit well with us and you're going to have to work it out as to what it really is getting at about fighting for our rights. Work that out. But Peter's primary audience here is servants, many who had occupations in the home, by the way, and who would uh, be considered uh, even decent jobs in the home, like teachers, accountants, merchants, doctors, nurses. They They were paid for these services. And even though they were in these positions somewhat involuntarily, and there there really is no direct parallel to anything in our day, the employer-employee relationship we have today is pretty close. And I feel like it's, it's fairly appropriate. And so the immediate application of this command is to, is to the workplace. What do we do when our boss isn't treating us so well? But the specific command to employees is broadened to include all of us when life is not fair. And in Calvin and Hobbes, Hobbes tries to comfort Calvin and give him a little perspective. He says, Calvin, the, the, the world isn't fair. It isn't fair. I know Calvin responds, but why isn't it ever unfair in my favor? Right? You, you know the feeling. Well, as follower of Jesus Christ, what should be our response to unjust suffering when life's not fair? Well, Peter's going to answer that question in verse 19. It applies to every one of us in this room. What happens when a follower of Jesus on the receiving end of unjust criticism or mistreatment? Well, the command is to submit. Now we come to our our second heading, the second C, commendable. Commendable. What's commendable? Well, look with me at verse 19. For it is commendable if a man or a woman bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. Now, I need to stop here for a minute to address a problem in the Christian community. I kind of sometimes I get these and I have to go to what it doesn't mean. Not all your suffering can be called suffering for Jesus. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, you say things like, well, you know, people don't like me because I'm holy. No, people don't like you because you act holier than thou. You're condescending. Your boss is all over you, not because he doesn't love Jesus, but because you're lazy. It isn't persecution, folks, for being a Christian when the truth is you aren't working hard. Or you're undependable. Or you're showing up late to work. Or you're using company time for personal stuff. Or you're spending all your time at work on the internet for personal things. 
Listen, sometimes you suffer because you're being a jerk. But in, but in victimology America, we figure if we're in pain, then someone did something to us. Yes, that someone is you. You did it to yourself. It's because you did something dumb. And Peter isn't talking about this kind of suffering. He now tells us what he is talking about, though, that, that there are people in the world who have evil intentions. People kind of dig in their heels against the truth. They don't care what is truth. They just, what is true, they just, they just want their own way. They just want to feed their own egos, carry out their selfish agenda. Yes, there are people like that. How to respond to those individuals? I'm glad you asked. Verse 20. How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. What's commendable? Endurance. What is it about enduring unjust suffering that is commendable? Well, because the one enduring it, it says in the end of verse 19, is conscious of God. Is conscious of God. To be conscious of God is to be mindful of Him. Is to be mindful of Him. Now, what does it look like to be mindful of God? I mean, how do we do this? Well, mindfulness is in today. It's actually been in for a long time. Right? There's this mindfulness that society speaks about where we just kind of clear our minds, we take deep breaths, and we let the thoughts and feelings and energy come into our lives. It's, it's kind of practicing being present in the moment. Well, whatever you may think of that practice, and I have some concerns, <laughs> that isn't what Peter's talking about here. But I do want to kind of take a page out of someone's playbook. It's a secular writer, and I think we can redeem this and use it and speak of it in a spiritual sense. But a secular writer defined mindfulness this way. Mindfulness is the basic human ability to be fully present, aware of where we are and what we're doing, and not overly reactive or overwhelmed by what's going on around us. You see, spiritually speaking, it's a mindfulness of him that says, I belong to God. It's to be aware of, of that thought uh, throughout the day, and particularly when you're being mistreated or maligned or hurt or insulted or, or suffering, that my true identity is wrapped up in what he says about me. And that that then informs every decision, every response, every course of action I will take and not take. See, mindfulness of him is key to making it through the day. Especially when you're being mistreated, especially when things around you are unjust, especially when you're not getting any credit for doing the right thing. See, being mindful of him means I don't have to control everything around me because he controls everything around me. <laughs> it's a tough one. Being mindful of him means that even when the company I work for seems to be run by a bunch of morons and, and, and the boss I have to take orders from doesn't seem to know what in the world he's doing, that doesn't inform my response. I'm not working for him. I'm working for the Lord. Yeah, this is poorly run, but I'm working for the Lord. 
I work for Jesus. You think that would make a difference this week in your life? I mean, it'd be nice, you might say, if I was appreciated around here, but, but I live to please him, to do that which is commendable before God. And when I think of, of, of the words commendable before God, I, I think of God standing up and applauding. And I, I ask myself, do I live for God's applause or yours? All right, let's go to calling. Calling. Third C here, third, third heading, the beginning of verse 1. Uh, verse 21, excuse me, says, to this you were called. Now, what's in context here? We're going to be ignored. We might be criticized. We might be hurt. We might be unappreciated. We may be treated unfairly. We may suffer for doing good. And then Peter says, to this you were called. And we go, what? I'm called to that? Now, I find uh, these words quite interesting because I don't think we often look at our Christianity in this light. But Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. John 15, verse 18. Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles. John 16, verse 33. We will have troubles. Now, parents, let me just speak to you for a moment. We do not do our children any favors if we always rescue them from trouble and suffering that happens in their life. I mean, we should comfort them. We should, we should listen to them when they hurt. We should help them walk through the painful stuff. We should try and protect them from unnecessary hurt. Yes, 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 yes. But don't run in and rescue them from suffering any chance you get. Oh, you can, you can quit the team because your coach is hard on you. Oh, yeah, let me talk to the principal and get you out of that class with that teacher who's giving you a tough time. It's been said, if you think your teacher's tough, wait till you get a boss. I mean, are you going to be able to rescue them from, what, from that boss when he or she is 30 years old? In this world, you will have troubles. If you rescue them from ever having to go through troubles, then when they hit, and they will, they'll have no idea how to work through them. And the expectation of them would be, someone's supposed to get me out of this. This shouldn't happen. No, to this we were called. I mean, where do we ever get this notion that the Christian life is supposed to be easy? Where do we ever get this idea that the Christian life is about health and wealth? Where do we get that gospel from? Not from the Bible. But many love that gospel. I mean, it it will preach. I mean, especially in this country. Not so much in third world countries. And other struggling parts of the world. Church, suffering is part of what we're called to as followers of Jesus Christ. Now one time, Peter who wrote this, he didn't feel this way. He didn't. I remind you, Peter's writing this. This is the guy who heard Jesus say this. You can check it out in Matthew 16 and verse 21 and following. But in Matthew 16, 21, he heard, Peter heard Jesus say this. Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. What happened next? This is the guy who then took Jesus aside and he began to rebuke him. Never, never, Lord, this suffering thing, this should never happen to you. No, Jesus, you should not suffer. See, a suffering Jesus didn't fit Peter's theology. And Jesus in that passage, by the way, in Matthew 16, he expands on this to say that his followers would also experience suffering. Take up my cross and follow him. 
Not easy. But here is transformed Peter under the superintending of God writing these words. Because follower of Jesus, you were called to this. So it should not surprise us when we suffer for doing good. To this we were called. But more than that, know what else is part of our calling? Not to hurt back. Not, not to even seethe in bitterness because we're not allowed to hurt back. If you follow Christ, God has called us to not return hurt for hurt. A pastor one Sunday was speaking on turning the other cheek. And the preacher stressed the importance of never trying to get even. Someone hurts us, we should not hurt in return. The preacher was saying, well, this little kid, well, he was taking it in. And that afternoon, the youngest boy in the family came into the house crying. And between sobs, he told his mother how he had kicked his brother, and his brother had kicked him back in return. The mother said, I'm sorry, you're hurt. But you, you, you can't go around kicking people. And the tearful child replied, I know, but the preacher said he wasn't supposed to kick me back, <laughs> right? And I thought, are we going around kicking people and then calling them out when they respond in kind? I mean, don't make it hard for others to make the right choice. Well, Peter really addresses how we respond when kicked. We have the command, we have commendable, we have calling, and the, and the final heading, final C is copy. It's not my favorite word here, but I needed a C. I'm, I'll, just, I'll be honest. Example would have been better, so put copy next to example. Well, Peter turns to the example of Christ. So continue with me, verse 21. He says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. Now, the word example in verse 21 is actually a rich word. It literally means um, writing under. So a child, in that day in a basic writing class, would learn the letters of the alphabet by getting uh, some letters already printed on a sheet, which over this sheet would be a piece of tracing paper. It was the responsibility of the child then to faithfully trace over the pattern that was underneath. Well, Christ has given us the pattern, the standard. We're to follow in his steps, his tracks, his line of footprints that he has left us. Now again, I need to say what Peter isn't saying. Peter's not a moralist, simply. He's not saying you need to get your act together, and the way you get your act together is simply following Jesus' example. I mean, you wear the bracelet, you ask the question, what would Jesus do, and off you go. You're good. No, it's not what he's saying. But that's what religion say. Religion. You want to be a good Muslim? Be like Muhammad. You want to be a good Buddhist? Be like Buddha. Be like. Be like. Is that what it do? What does it mean to look to Jesus as an example? Do we read through the Gospels and see what Jesus did and then try to, try to, try to just copy that? Listen, one of the distinguishing marks of the Christian faith is that Jesus isn't just our example. He's our example, but he's not just our example. We need a Savior. He's our Savior. Back in verse 21, it says that Christ suffered for you. Two critical words there. For you. He suffered not simply to leave you an example, but Christ suffered for you. For you, for me, he suffered. 
And that's why Peter says in, of Jesus in verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, so he might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You see, when Christ suffered, he was standing in your place for you. He was taking on himself your condemnation. So the suffering you experience in life is not an indication of God's disapproval of your life, but on the contrary, his commendation, it's your calling. Jesus died for you so that you might suffer like him. Christ is our standard, but more importantly, Christ is our sin bearer. Christ did not live and then die simply to show people how to live a good life. He lived and died to bring healing, spiritual healing to the broken, to those not well. He lived and died to bring salvation to the sinful. Christ suffered for you. And so church, don't attempt even for a minute to follow Jesus' steps in Jesus' steps without the impact and the significance as, of Christ as our sin bearer truly gripping our hearts. It isn't just go out here, I'm going to be like Christ this week without, and, and forget this part, he's a sin bearer. Got to have that. If you've never said yes to Jesus and you've never put your trust in him for your salvation, then none of what I'm saying today really is going to make sense. But if you have trusted in Christ, then you're going to face at one time or another unjust suffering. And Peter spells out how we're to suffer. And I want to go back to verse 23 to wrap all this up and give us some application this morning as we go out. Verse 23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. When you're hurt, how hard is it not to retaliate? Oh, I don't get mad. I just get even. I believe as Nietzsche who said, revenge is the greatest instinct in the human race. And that's why we've adopted as our national slogan, I'll sue. And sadly, this attitude has crept into the church. And you say, well, Pastor, I've never sued anyone in the church. Maybe not. But you know what? Many believers today are sidelined with bitterness. Many today have given up on the church, and I just talked to someone close to me a couple of weeks ago, have given up on the church because someone along the way hurt them. I get that, I do. But listen, Jesus died for that. He took our sins on himself on the cross that we might die to sins, now live for righteousness. He gave up his life to heal what is broken in you. Not in an instant, but in time. Will you let him heal that wound in your soul this morning? Some of you right now, in a room this size, some of you right now, it is safe to say, you're in pain over some unjust suffering. Some of you in this room, you feel unappreciated, you feel criticized, you feel hurt, you feel let down, you feel mistreated, you feel everything inside of you is screaming, it isn't fair. You think your suffering's unjust? You think you don't deserve to be treated in a certain way? You think it's all unfair? It might be. It might be. But Jesus 
died for all of that. By his wounds, you have been healed. He wants you to be spiritually well this morning. Listen, don't get stuck in that hurt. You'll be a miserable person. And suffering is never an excuse for ungodly choices or behaviors. I like to say it might be an explanation, but not an excuse. All right, where do we go with that suffering? What can protect us from retaliation? Living on hope, as I've entitled this sermon series. We can endure unjust suffering because our hope is in the one who judges justly. Notice again in the last sentence in verse 23. This really is key to everything I'm saying this morning. If you missed everything else, let's get this. This is a promise to be believed right here. End of verse 23. It says, instead he, meaning Jesus, entrusted to him who judges justly. Now the NIV, I believe, wrongly supplies the word himself here because it's not in the original. It literally says, he entrusted to him who judges justly. What did Jesus entrust to his father? He entrusted, he handed over, which is what that means. He left his case in the hands of God. He handed over his enemies. He handed over his entire situation to the one who judges justly. Now, do you know who doesn't just judge judge justly? Us. We don't. We rarely have all the information. We jump to conclusions that may or may not be correct. However, God always judges justly. We can trust him to always do the right thing regarding our situation. And I, I believe that we really need to get a handle on this. Because other than sexual morality, I can't think of anything else that so cripples the church today than this. Many are stuck in their hurt, justifying it, saying, oh, my pastor, you don't understand how I've been hurt. You don't, you don't understand the suffering I've gone through. You don't know how he or she treated me. I probably don't. But do you believe? Do we trust that God sees every wrong done to us, knows every hurt, and that he will settle all accounts with perfect justice in his timing? If we believe that, I mean, I mean, really believe it, then why do we take matters in our own hands? Why can't we get out from our own hurt? So my invitation to you is this. My invitation to you is this. Leave behind in this room that yoke of self-pity. Leave behind in this room that yoke, that bondage, that chain of bitterness. Leave behind in this room that chain, that yoke of excuse-making and blame-shifting. What is it that you need to hand over to God? How can you start the process of healing over some hurt, some unjust suffering? That situation to you that just isn't fair. Don't allow unjust suffering to be an excuse in your life. And when I think of having an excuse for suffering, I'm reminded of the true story that writer Bob Pierce speaks about. Bob Pierce, he visited a home of lepers in Korea and he 
he and the chief surgeon uh, apparently walked through the home and they passed through uh, each of the rooms of lepers, each room getting progressively worse as they made their way to the back of the building. They finally came to the room in the back and there they found the worst patient of all. Their eyes landed on a Korean man. He had lost all of his toes, all of his fingers. He could no longer stand or walk. He could barely sit up. He could not speak, for he had lost his tongue uh, to leprosy. He could not see, he could not hear. All of his teeth had fallen out. He could do only one thing. He could feel vibrations. And so as these two men entered the room, he could feel the vibrations of them coming into the room. And at one time, prior to being in this horrific, miserable condition, he'd given his life to Christ. And he wanted to share his faith and joy with others. But listen, he could not speak, stand, see, hear, or walk. We might say, here is a man who had an excuse. Well, as the vibrations were felt, this Korean man, trying to even picture it, he lifted himself up on, on one elbow on his bed. And then with a, a fingerless hand and, and with a with teethless grin, he pointed to the sky and he just kind of did this. He was giving witness to the Lord. He wanted everybody to recognize, I love God. He's my Savior. It's Him. So as I consider speaking my excuse to the Lord, perhaps I need to just pause and think of this Korean man who's standing right next to me. Let's pray. God, it's tough to digest all this and you know the personal stuff going on in people's lives and the last thing I want to communicate is that hurt is, is easy to get over not minimizing the hurt at all not minimizing unjust suffering collectively in this room we've had our share of it but just help us to know how to respond to that in a healthy way by your wounds, we, we're, we're healed, not in an instant. It's a process, and help us just to get that process going and not get stuck in this place of hurt. Guide us in the personal application of this as we come to you and ask for your help. Wanting to give glory to you, I pray in Jesus' name.